We are back on the bench rumor. It is episode 24 on Madiba's radio. So today features a one-on-one interview with an up-and-coming coach, Senkele Woko, uh, based from Cape Town. He is also a host on a podcast channel. So we will hear more about his uh, podcast and the plans he has going forward. Then the last segment on today's show features a press conference preview on the second test versus Pakistan with Proteus coach Mark Boucher. So after the break, after the short break, we go straight into the interview with Senkele Lewoko. So do stay tuned on Madiba's radio, the best youth station in the Bay. Hi, I'm Figile Mbalula, commonly known as Razmataz Mbawizi Fligile on Flick. You are listening to Madiba's radio. Keep rocking the Metro Nana. Let's go. You're listening to Madiba's radio, opening up the waves for you to be heard. Sentia, welcome on the bench, Roma. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm keen to chat. I'm, I'm, keen to, yeah, I'm keen to talk about a rugby with you. So let's get straight to it. Uh, you've obviously uh, a podcast host. Uh, obviously, the name of it is called the, the Coaches Corner, whereby you interview rugby coaches in different aspects of the game. What made you start the channel, and what are the aims for the for this channel going forward? Hey, so I'm just just a young coach from 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 Cape Town. I'm. I love coaching rugby, coached a bit at Sachs High School and I played a bit of rugby growing up, went to great college, played first team in Pink 11, played a bit of the Bulls in the 19 and I thought, geez, I enjoy playing rugby, but I, I, I can't imagine what's coaching like, let me give that a go and as soon as I started, I just fell in love with it. Been coaching now for a few years and, and thought, okay, coaching is a cool thing, what about creating content about coaching? So I started a podcast. I'm called Coach's Corner, so I've been doing that for the past few months, you know, just having my podcast, coaching rugby, trying to learn as much as I can. So, yeah, that's who I am and, and what I love doing. So, let's get straight to it. Uh, you've obviously uh, a podcast host. Uh, obviously, the name of it is called the, the Coach's Corner, whereby you interview rugby coaches in different aspects of the game. 
What made you start the channel and what are the aims for, the, for this channel going forward? Well, to be honest, when I started the channel, I thought like, I was, it was in time during lockdown, I was doing a lot of research, you know, you, you couldn't coach, so you were like learning about rugby, watching videos and stuff and I, and I thought there's no one really who does interviews where they talk to coaches, like players get a lot of airtime and, and there's really podcasts and stuff like that, but like a video podcast where guys are interviewing coaches, asking questions and not even just about rugby, like asking about the story behind coaching, you know, the mental side of the game, things that they've learned throughout coaching. So, and I literally just started, I, I started because I was like, What's a way that I can just ask people questions and learn more about the game? And then I was like, okay, why don't I turn on a podcast? And then it just went from there. I didn't really have a plan for it. I just thought, I love talking to people who are rugby. I can ask some questions. Um, and yeah, I just grew from there. And then personally, I think where I wanted to go, I mean, I just kind of take it day by day. Like, I love to interview guys like Rassi, Eddie Jones, you know, all those type of guys. But yeah, I try and take it day by day. If there's someone that I really like, I send them a message and hopefully I interview them. And if someone, you know, gets some knowledge from my interview, then, you know, that's really it for me. I, I don't think about being a content creator. I just think about sharing information with other people. No, of course. And it's obviously not easy getting a big name featured onto the podcast. Now, you've mentioned something interesting last week about a player draft um, using the NFL draft system. I found this very interesting and so did many as well. Can you tell us more about the NFL draft system, how it works in the U.S.? So, okay, so for those of the people who don't understand, so um, in America, especially North American sports, you know, um, um, National Football League, baseball, hockey, there isn't really semi-professional sports. There's guys don't leave high school and go play, like, we have under-21 Curry Cup or, you know, junior cricket, under-21 cricket or anything like that. In order to play professional sport, you have to go to university first. So guys go play well, we would varsity cup, varsity cup rugby, varsity cup cricket. They go play college football if in the NFL now, for example. They spend a three-year time. They have to go to university for three years, which would be their junior year. And only then, if they're good enough to enter this team, enter the NFL, they declare for the draft, meaning that they quit university and say, okay, I'm, I'm done with university. They're able to hire an agent and they enter the draft and hopefully a team chooses them. So there's 32 teams in the NFL. They have about a seven-round draft process. So from one to 32. But what makes it interesting is that if you were to finish last, if you were out of the 32 teams, you finished last, you would have the first pick in the draft the following season. And if you into the Super Bowl, you were one or two, you would have the, 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 the last and the second last pick. So, you know, I watch a lot of American sports bars and American football a lot. And like, yes. I also thought, Jesus, it's a great idea. This is something that we could use. So that's, yeah, that's how the system works in America. Cool. Um, now, how can this uh, draft system be implemented in SA Rugby? Let's say, for example, I'm an SA Rugby administrator and ask you to pitch me a five-minute presentation about your idea. What would you say? Um, so, first, I think it, it comes down to the fact that, in my opinion, and back in the chat the biggest problem with SA Rugby is there's no competition. Um, bigger teams just dominate smaller teams. You watch the Curry Cup now, in my opinion. When Saifans, the Bulls, Sharks, Lions play against smaller teams, they dominate them. They just kick the ball and they know they're not good enough. So, if I was telling this, I'd say, how can we make this game more competitive? If a team struggles in the 2021 Curry Cup, how can we give them an opportunity to be better in 2022? That the four teams don't just dominate. So, we take away on a 19 and 21 Curry Cup. If you want to play professional rugby, whether you're Damon Willemse, who was, you know, could have played for the Super Rugby Matric or Kerwin Bosch, those type of guys, you have to go to university. You have to either go to Techies, Martis, Pucker, UCT, UJ, but whoever. 
that becomes a system. So even then within Varsity Cup, it won't just be Martis and Tickies winning every year because if you had to take, say for instance, there were five top um, flops in school where I get today. One is yes. at Great College, another goes to Bishops, one goes to JP and Uffies, for example. The first two would probably choose the best Varsity Cup side, which is Martis or Tickies. Yes. But then there's still three other flowers. So one would maybe go to UCT, one goes to UJ, one goes to Bits. So now the five best players haven't all chosen to go to the Bulls or to Western Province. They scatter amongst the whole country. They can compete with each other. Varsity Cup as a product becomes better. More people are going to tune in and watch Varsity Cup because it's more competitive. And then a, a guy like maybe Damien Willems, who was already a star. Now he's gotten better coaching. He's been able to develop for three years. He can then take the next step and he gets drafted. So after three years, he's maybe won a Varsity Cup or two. He's competed against other players. He's coached. He's received good coaching. Now a team in this year's Curry Cup, the Grippers, they finished last. They've got the first pick. They take Damian Williams. Then number two, maybe let's say the Pumas. Okay, they can take seven. Alan Van Rijn, he was a massive seven at, at Marty's. They take Alan Van Rijn. He goes seventh in the draft. He goes second in the draft. And, and a struggling team can get good quality talent and rebuild their franchise instead of having to just keep finishing last and second last. I mean, I, while I was preparing for my podcast, I was doing some research. In 2014, and the 19 Curry Cup final between Western Province and the Bulls, 17 of those guys played SA schools the year before. 17 of those 23 yes. guys yes. were the SA school side. You know, you want rugby to be more competitive. Like, that's shocking. In a varsity cup, there've been about 18 or 19 tournaments, something like that. You know, Marty's have won almost half. So it's just like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's when you look at analyze stats like that, we need to find ways to make more parity. And I think a draft system will help do that. Will really allow teams to get their chance to sign better players and just change their destiny. Not just be at the bottom of the pile for 10 years and then we wonder why we don't have really competition and people aren't watching Curry Cup. Yeah, yes, for sure. Um, I agree fully with what you're saying, especially with an equal spread of talent around the country. I think it all de uh, depends on buying of the buying power as well. How can we ensure that all unions have equal financial power? So, that's a good question. So, the thing about it is that why, why I think there's also been a big like disparity in finances is because South African rugby doesn't think about rugby as a content. Like, the more I watch American sports, the more I realize if you, you want your sport to grow, you have to set it like a business. So, the problem is no one watches rugby because it's not interesting. So, what SA Rugby could do is by, by making sure that Varsity Cup is more competitive, the Varsity Cup will make more money, which means that SA Rugby will make more money. If they enter a system where the, the Curry Cup is more competitive, there'll be, you know, more people will buy tickets, more people watch the game, they can make money. But then lastly, they implement a salary cap. So a team like the Stormers can't have a, 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 a team that, that costs five million rand a year. So if they cut the cap and say, your host team can only cost two million a year, they can yes. use that excess money to spread it amongst smaller unions. And once the small unions get in, initial base they'll be able to compete and and fill their stadiums and be more competitive but you know what i mean like that's more from an um, administrative point of view and more thinking of sa rugby as a business you know what i mean not thinking about it as you know, we love rugby we're very patriotic which is true that's a lot about the energy about sa rugby but more how can more people consume this content how can we get more people to watch rugby how can more people follow a rugby page on instagram how can kids instead of watching youtube about something else watch youtube about rugby how can we get a guy who's a matric who's played for some bishops, how can we get him engaging with young people so the game can grow? That's how smaller unions will get more money. So, 
a kid goes to varsity, he plays three years at, at UCT. By the time he's in his third year university, he's got 10,000 Instagram followers. The Pumas, they draft him now number one. Yes. Now, 10,000 people are more engaged with their content, means they're making more money, and then it's just a ripple effect from there. So it's more just administrative side, a salary cap, and just understanding that rugby is it's a content, it's not. It's a sport, obviously, and we love it because it's a sport. But if you want your game to grow in the modern era, it has to be a form of content. It can't just be 30 guys on a field passing the ball and tackling each other. It has to be like a, and the people will consume. Uh, yes, for sure. Um, I agree. Um, players will obviously benefit as well, as well obviously be obtaining a tertiary uh, qualification or degree um, to that matter. Now, another major problem at the moment is the coaches' progression within the coaching ranks. We see many coaches coach for roughly 10 to 15 years in high school level and never progress uh, further than that. How can this be improved in order for these coaches to coach at provincial level and later on um, in, in the international arena? I think that's a great question. So I think the biggest problem, I think, is there needs to be better pathway systems. I, I get a feeling now, especially the more I enter spaces like with professional guys and older coaches, is that geez, a lot of the time it's not so much are you winning games, but who knows you? Do you know what I mean? It, it, who's opening a door for you? Who's networking? And networking is important in any profession, but a thing like rugby that can't exist. Like, for example, you don't coach anymore, but for example, if you were a great coach, the example you use, you coach for 10 years, you could have so much knowledge and be better than coach B. You could be much better than me, but because I know. Rassi, Rassi opens the door for me and I, I get a job and someone like you who's been coaching for 10 years, who's really good, loses, gets lost in the system and, and ends up following another profession. So I think there needs to be better pathways. Like like South Africa spends so much time and resources into talent identification, SA schools, baby blocks, S under 16. There needs to be the same process within coaching. Like people need to know who, which junior coaches are coaching schoolboy rugby that are winning, you know. Which guys coaching under 21 rugby can take the next step? It needs to be more of a revolving door rather than everyone opening a door for themselves or, okay, I know this guy. Because I think the biggest thing now is young coaches, they worry more about networking. Like guys aren't really trying to grow the game. They're really thinking, geez, who yes, can I meet? Yes. Who can open a door for me? Unfortunately, that's just how the, that's how the games become, which isn't, it, it shouldn't be like that. It should be, I'm coaching for me, for example, I'm coaching school with rugby. I'm learning as much as I can. I'm not ready to coach professional rugby yet, but what pathway can I take? Is there a legitimate pathway? Do I know there's a process by which SA Rugby is monitoring young coaches? Okay, I win a few games, I coach the first team, you know, we beat Paul Jim, whatever. Okay, now he's ready to coach under 19. Like just a better talent coaching um, talent identification process and just better pathway systems that will allow coaches to, you know, actually follow a process and not just be networking and, and opening doors for one another. So next week, Monday, I'll be having a chat with Rassi Erasmus, the director of rugby, as he announces the plan of action with rugby in, in SA going forward. Now, as a supporter and coach, what would you hope to hear from him? Um, I think you're to schoolboy rugby. Like, I think guys guys really want to play schoolboy rugby, young coaches. I think, like, like I say, schoolboy rugby, just grassroots rugby, I think, geez. I know COVID is a difficult time to manage, you know, the spread of the virus and everything like that. It is difficult, but if you think about it, if you haven't played professional rugby, or if you're a group of individuals who are under-resourced, like if you, like you mean, if your socioeconomic standard is low, you have not touched rugby ball, you haven't been able to communicate rugby, you haven't been in rugby spaces for almost a year. Like, 
guys playing test rugby, that's great. You know, the guys will be fine and guys playing curry cup will be great. But my biggest concern is, are there going to be ways we, to help schoolboy players, people of all communities to play rugby again? Like, do, does he have some ideas on how people can play club rugby again? Yeah. How, you know, junior school guys can play rugby, how varsity cup guys, like, you know what I mean? Just the broad scheme of rugby, not just come out and say, yeah, curry cup. You know, we're going to play British and Irish Lions. I'm excited for the British and Irish Lions, but people that are really playing rugby all over South Africa, I really hope that he can bring some ideas and how everyone can, can kind of just get into playing the game again. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, uh, for sure, um, I think uh, it was announced this week that Varsity Cup will be starting again. Um, I think it will be it will happen in the next yeah. couple of weeks. All the teams have started to train. I mean, obviously, I think you with uh, the UCT Ikees, I'm sure you're in the ranks there. Um, and as well, how will this be be able to yeah. be implemented? Let's say, for, obviously, you have to take into, in, into consideration the, the protocols. How can this be be positive uh, possible? Obviously, we see that um, the in the cricket fraternity, um, all club teams or games have been postponed until 2022. How can this be in, implemented and work? Obviously, with the COVID um, uh, protocols, how can this be possible that high school high school rugby and club uh, rugby can be possible again in South Africa? Uh, the thing is, the, the school where I've also given a lot of thought, the school where everything is a bit difficult just because school boy, the school boys are not autonomous. They they can't move around without you know their parents. So it creates more people that are they're playing sport. Whereas club rugby, if I was club rugby, I would all, like kind of go into an agreement with maybe Mart. Let's just say, for example, like Marty's, um, Hamilton's villages, they all align and say, hey, let's play, you know, a two week tournament two months from now where we play day after day, you know, we play from a from a Thursday to a Sunday, kind of a knockout stage. You know, just kind of bounce your ideas of that. I think schoolboy rugby, the best thing is also, I think if guys want to play rugby this year, it's going to be, it's going to have to be in isolated spots. Like, you know what I mean? Like a schoolboy tournament this next month, your first team gets tested. Pardon, boys, our sax bishops, we come together, we play for a few days. And then, you know what I mean? It, it is a of bit course, difficult yeah, yeah. for schoolboy rugby, but I definitely think club rugby and like, your local um, community rugby can take that step. I think schoolboy rugby take you know another few months until we can probably probably get off the ground and, and running. Certainly, you obviously um, a coach as well. If you had the choice in, to emulate any coach, who would it be and why? That's a good question. Um, no, I think it's like you know I want to say Rassi, but it's so cliche. But yeah, definitely Rassi Rasmus, but not even because. Rugby was like the guy's obviously one of the smartest coaches in the entire world. But I think because in a country like South Africa, he understands the broader picture of what it means to coach. Like, you know, he understands that South African rugby is 15 guys who aren't the same people who look differently, who speak differently, who from different backgrounds. He understands the power of that. He understands relationships matter. He understands yeah. inclusivity matters, diversity matters. 100%. Do you know what I mean? He, yes, he could have just coached us from chosen. 10 white, guy, 10 white coaches, just two black guys played on the bench, but he didn't. He chose a very diverse coaching group. He really wanted to connect with players of colour. So that blue space, so he, him definitely, you know what I mean? Not so, not so much because of the X's and O's, but more because of what's in his head and in his heart. Do you, do you think uh, that, that uh, Chasing the Sun gave the public the more, more of an insight on how, how the, or let me say, the international setup is like? Do you think that helped as well in terms of amount of criticism that the public give to to all these teams 
Oh yeah, definitely. I, so, I mean, obviously, like I've, I've played rugby and I never played like I played on the Lansing Carry Cup, but I know guys that play professional rugby, and I love some. Sometimes when you sit with people and watch rugby, and they're like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing," or "Yeah, let's coach." And I think that showed these guys that these guys play for the box. Like, as much as it's a job, it's a form of employment. These guys are as patriotic as we are. I mean, they're South Africans. I don't think you know Andre Pollard's waking up on Saturday thinking he wants to lose to the All Blacks. Like, it shows how much these guys actually work, how much they put into playing for the box, and it just shows the human element of it as well. You know, when these guys. Like Boong Mb, you know, he misses a lineout. He's the next few months he throws a hundred a day. You know, stuff like oh, that. Yeah. People, it's. I think it was cool that it showed the human element to what it means to play for the Springboks and play Test rugby. You know, it shows that these guys are affected when they struggle. You know, they're actually trying to improve, despite what many people think. So I think it was a great window into what a Test environment looks like and how these guys connect and how they play and how they try and improve. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, lastly, mate, what's next for yourself? You obviously completed your degree in psychology. Um, next for me is, I mean, I I just want to keep coaching, and I I do want to um want to keep studying. You know, I had a chat yesterday with Stormers forwards coach Rudolf Longwan, and one thing that he really that I've never thought about before is that as much as you love coaching rugby, it, it should never be the only thing in your life, like. It should never be, I wake up every day and the only thing I think about is coaching rugby. You also want to keep your mind sharp. You want to keep studying. You want to keep playing. So keep coaching. You know, I want to become a teacher for a little while to, you know, you know balance coaching rugby and, and teaching and, and that kind of fulfillment. But yeah, just keep coaching and hopefully, you know, take the next step, coach first team rugby, you know, junior provincial rugby. But um, the biggest thing I've also learned is just to stay present in what you're doing, especially people my age. We're so impatient. Like if someone asked me today if I can coach the Springboks, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> but I mean, I go yeah, so yeah, yeah. just learning to be patient. You know, go with the flow, enjoy enjoy the journey, and just you know what I mean. Just make Definitely, some studying, yeah. make some enjoying coaching, and yeah, but it. Essentially, thanks for joining us um, on the twenty fourth episode of the Bench Roma. Uh, we look forward to chatting to you again once the rugby resumes back in Essa. Thanks so much, bro. So that was Sentle Leroko, a rugby coach from Cape Town, and also he hosts his own podcast channel called The Coaches Corner on Instagram. Anyway, after the break, we attend a press conference which will pre- preview the second test versus Pakistan with the Proteus coach Mark Boucher. Remember, Pakistan takes a 1-0 lead after the first test. So do listen in on what Mark has, has in store for the fans prior to the second test versus Pakistan after the break. You know, there are times where before you say something, you got to think hard and deep because there's a greater possibility, it's a reflection of either the psyche, the mentality, the character in the person, or it reflects a bit of background. And for fear of exposing where you come from, you think twice and consider perspective. In your face. In the, in the olden days when Jesus Christ went on through his lessons, He was never specific in his references. He would always use symbols. Because whenever a symbol is used in a process where something has to be rectified, none of us gets consumed. If I were to refer to somebody who would would put it like that because I am. But if I were not, then I would put it in a way that has respect in what I'm referring to. I hope you understand. I don't... 
Um, I think if you look at the history of this ground, uh, you would probably say that it's more SEMA friendly. That's what we've been reading um, and looking at the past results as well. Um, when we first got here, what was it three days ago, uh, there's quite a bit of grass on the wickets. Uh, we then got there yesterday and all that grass had been taken off. The surface looks to be very dry. Um, just having a chat around the ground, um, you know, to, to a couple of the Pakistan players or, and, and coaching staff as well, they, they don't seem to be too sure how it's actually going to play. Um, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the media about um, how they're wanting to draw the wicket out. Um, obviously, because of, of the spinning conditions and, and the way uh, we sort of played in Karachi as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't think anyone really knows how it's going to play. It, 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 there's a lot of plates on the wicket, so it is certainly very dry. And there's not much grass. I mean, most of the grass is cut off two days ago. Um, there's a bit of moisture around. It, you know, there's a lot of dew early early morning. We're not, probably not going to get full day of play in because it gets very dark early on. So we'll have to have to wait and see. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm not too sure. I mean, if the Pakistan guys are not too sure, it's going to play. It's quite difficult for us to to make a call on it. We're probably going to have to cover both angles. No, I wouldn't say disruption. I think we're very focused on what we what the job at hand is in, in Pakistan. Um, I think it's disappointing. It's certainly disappointing. I think CSA has expressed their disappointment as well, and it's no different for the players. Um, you know, we had sort of made a lot of plans. I know that there was a lot of planning going into the Australian tour back home. Um, uh, we haven't really been a part of that, but I mean, you know, it, it seems to be, I mean, that, that a lot of goalposts were being moved for that particular tour for Australia. For example, um, you know, we, the one positive that came out of the bubble um, against Sri Lanka was the hotel that we stayed at. We thought it was a great hotel for, for us as South Africans. It sort of suits our needs and our sort of cultural way that we are uh, being outdoors. And we even surrendered that to Australia. So, you know, there's probably a feeling that we're laying down the red carpet a bit for Australia, uh, which is frustrating at times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, after all of that, um, having a look at where it is now and, and having been uh, postponed, uh, very disappointing and I suppose disruptive with regards to our plans going forward, but certainly won't um, won't hamper us uh, in, in this next test match. I think the, the focus is uh, is on trying to uh, level this this test series. So we we won't be keeping any test players. Um, it's just it's it's bubbles intermingling um, and it's just literally it probably won't happen. Uh, well, it's not going to happen. Um, the management, as far as I know, myself, um, Langer's, uh, Sipakazi will be staying over um, and looking after that uh, T20 squad that, we, were, that will be coming um, over. I think they've already actually arrived. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not ideal. Um, there's been a lot of planning that's gone into the two tours and also going back and quarantining uh, for, for Australia. Uh, so the planning is all there. Um, we were told right at there, you know, at, at, at a very late moment that this is going to happen uh, or wasn't going to happen. Um, it's difficult to, for us to all of a sudden turn around and, and start changing plans up when there's a T20 around the corner. Um, so we're going to keep the players as, as per is um, uh, and, and one or two of our management will, will continue to stay on you and join, and join the T20 squad. Yeah, John's first question was a, a very big blow. I mean, it's and you, you know, you sort of name a team and uh, 20 minutes before uh, toss, um, you're busy scrambling and uh, I think it just broke broke a bit of a, 
was a bit of a bubble burst for us um, right before the game. Uh, making excuses though, um, but certainly I'd love to have seen our Shamu bowled on that wicket. Uh, you know, we, we saw how good their leg spinner was. Um, a wrist spinner on that was was always turn the ball more than what finger spinners were. Um, so, you know, who knows what he would have done in it. Um, I think we, there were other reasons why we lost the game. Certainly not from from our bowling. Um, but yeah, I'll go to this game. Uh, you know, Shama has had a recent injury. Um, he he hasn't had a, a lot of overs that he's bowled um, because of this back injury. Uh, going to this game, yes, he might be effective in this game on this particular uh, that that we that we can be playing. Um, my concern is, and a bit of a red for me is that if he does bowl quite a few overs, uh, wakes up the next morning and he's back sore again, and he's not able to push through. Um, you know, then you're stuck with one bowler light. So it is a, a, a massive red light for me, um, especially because of the sort of pain that he that he had with his, his back going forward. So we have to take that into consideration um, regarding regarding selection. Um, another concern is is Kesh. Uh, Kesh sort of played up at practice yesterday. Um, he went for scans uh, with the doc, came back. There, there is something there, but he, he bowled quite a few overs today um, and he felt fine. So we will wait and see how, he's, how he recovers from his bowling uh, that he had today, tomorrow. So, so yeah, we, we haven't uh, selected a final eleven yet. Um, Vian Mulder is certainly in the plans. Um, you know, if, if the wicket is going to, if there's a lot of cracks and 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 puzzles, puzzle pieces, like I said, there was a uh, in this particular wicket, it might be up and down. So a guy who's able to hit uh, good areas for long periods of time um, is always going to be difficult to play. So yes, yeah, certainly he is um, he is in the running. Uh, especially looking at our, our batting, the way that we batted in the first test, um, he will add a, a different uh, sort of look to the side as well um, with, with the extra all-rounder all position. Um, Dean seems to be fine. Um, he batted yesterday with the injection uh, and he, he said he couldn't feel anything, uh, whether he couldn't feel pain or couldn't feel anything in the hand. I mean, he batted, he batted fine. He batted today as well um, and he didn't seem to have any pain. Uh, so... Uh, as, as far as where we're concerned, he's, he's fit and ready to go. Um, Kesh, yesterday, uh, during a, a session, uh, he turned around and he felt some sort of pain in his uh, in his rib area. Um, he went to the doctor, complained about it, uh, it was a little bit sore. He then went for scans. Uh, the scan came up um, that there was something there. It might be a minor little tear or a bruising of some sort. Uh, he then bowled today. I think he bowled... Oof, close to 15 overs just to really test himself. He felt fine. He felt that the pain was bearable. Um, but we're not ready to make a call on him yet because you never know how his body will react overnight. Um, if he wakes up in the morning uh, and he, he he knows as well, he needs to give us an early call on how he feels. It's one of those things, you know, where as a player, you're the only one who really knows if, if the pain is bearable to, to bowl through. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to have to trust Kesh on this. Uh, if he wakes up in the morning, he's fine to play. Then um, yeah, he'll get the nod. Um, yeah, look, uh, you say suspect batting lineup. I don't think it's a suspect batting lineup. I think it just needs a lot more mental application from a batting perspective. Also, having two runouts in your top six is never going to be easy to recover from uh, in, in subcontinent conditions. I thought we won a good toss. Uh, we got off to a good start, and then we sort of just didn't have the mental application um, to to contract uh, what was some some tight bowling um you know we spoke about this uh, in in before the game but i think sometimes players have to actually physically go through it or see opposition and how they actually play it so i think our our batting in the second innings was a lot better 
Um, you know, the, the application was a lot better. We saw a good um, partnership with Aiden and Rusty. So I think if that's anything to go by, hopefully the guys have learned the lesson fairly quickly. Um, we've done a lot of work on spin going into this ground, into this uh, game, uh, having a look at the conditions and seeing how dry it is. Uh, so we've, we believe that we've prepared and we've, we've spoken about a lot of things. Uh, hopefully the guys have learned their lesson on, on watching how the, the Pakistan players played it and also learning from our mistakes in the previous game. Um, and yeah, the, the, the rest is, is up to the players to go out there and, and um, put the numbers on the board. I certainly do believe we've got the batting lineup to do it. Um, we just need we need one or two guys to really get stuck in and, and get one or two hundreds and, and hopefully the rest of the guys can bat around them. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we can turn it around. It's uh, Like I said, uh, we had a good honest chat after the first test and I think we learned a lot from, from watching them uh, and from a couple of our mistakes. So hopefully we can we can rectify that in the second test. Okay, so he wasn't forced to take the captaincy. It was a conversation that we had, um, and he said that he would do it in the interim while while we uh, sort of have a look and see what other names we might be able to throw into into the pot for, for captaincy. Um, it's been tough on Quinny. Obviously, you know, if you if you're not scoring runs, uh, it sort of gets highlighted, especially if you're a captain. Um, but uh, I think you know. We're not that harsh on Quinny in, in this environment. Um, you know, we know that he's a quality player, and uh, there's a good innings around the corner for Quinny. Um, you know, he has been given the extra burden of being a captain. I think you know that that's that can be tough um, and something that he's not he's not used to. Uh, the 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 good side of that is is that you know when we get back after this particular tour, we can we've got a bit of time now before our next test series, so we can sit down and, and probably make a, a good solid call on on who can take over from him and. And release him from that burden um, going going forward, and and hopefully try to get the best out of him. Um, it wasn't really a consideration on on making extreme decisions during a during a tour, especially a, a, a two match test series. Um, especially now, um, I, I don't think it's time for panic. I think it's time for for us to, to to sort of get closer as a unit and and make some good solid calls and and hopefully understand that you know if if the guys put out the performances, then we'll be in a better position to win test cricket. So, you know, it's difficult to, to just put it all on one person, especially, you know, as a, a talent like Quinny um, being a captain. It, it's, it's, not, it's not his fault that, that we're in the situation one nil that down at the moment. It's just some very poor cricket on day one that I think um, is, 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 is the reason why we won nil down at the moment. No, we didn't. We prepared, um, as I said just now, I think sometimes, you know, you can, you can talk to players and, and we can give them as much information as we can. Um, Bottom line is that, you know, what is experience? Experience is actually sometimes physically going out there and experience it for yourself. Um, we, we spoke about the patience that you need, uh, the, the different mental approach, the fact that the run rates are not going to be at three and a half, four is what we used to in South Africa. Um, the fact that we, when you defend, you've got to t defend with a lot of intensity. So we spoke about all these things. Um, I think we came short and like I said, the two runouts didn't help us in, in the first innings. Um, but then watching them play, especially day two, I think the guys sort of realized, okay, well, you know, what we spoke about, it's actually, it's happening right in front of us now. So we sort of understand how this, how, how you have to go about batting in, in the subcontinent. Uh, um, so I think, it, you know, as we saw in the second innings, we, of day three, we lost a couple of wickets, which didn't help the cause. If we didn't lose those couple of wickets, I thought we'd have been in, in a fairly good position in that game. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen that way. Um, but I just look at the way that the guys have been practicing now. Um, there's a lot more care on on keeping their wicket. There's a lot more intensity when they defend. 
um, you know, not not so many shots in the nets, all that type of stuff. So I think the, the mental preparation going into this game has been good because they've actually witnessed it um, and seen how Pakistan have actually played um, and how to put a big score together. So I think the, the learning sometimes, you know, you can talk as much as you can. They've actually sometimes got to see it to to believe that um, that's the way of going about building innings um, in subcontinent conditions. Ken, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was there. Um, after day, well, towards the end of day one, when we picked up four wickets, um, it was certainly there the next morning. Um, it tends to happen when you when you have a long partnership. Uh, it sort of breaks down a fielding side. We had a couple of opportunities, albeit sharp opportunities. You know, you take one or two of those, we might have been in a very good position. Um, and it's something that we have spoken about. No one drops catches on purpose, uh, but that can be the, the changing of, of a game. We've just witnessed it now in Australia against India as well. If you don't take those sharp opportunities, um, you know, you're always you, you're up against it. So I think, you, you know, we, we did speak about um, in the beginning, the, the intensity was there in the field throughout this the second day when we were building a bit of pressure. Um, I think it was there as well. Day three, you rightly say that that um, you know the sort of the floodgates opened a bit. I don't think we bowled well at all, uh, especially with having them going at one and a half, two runs and over, and then the first six overs we went 45 runs, um, which is totally against the uh, the sort of run of the run rates um, in the entire game. So I think that's when maybe we we were a bit slack. Um, I don't know if it, it shouldn't be fatigue. I think it is more just the position that we're in and maybe the guys going, yeah, we've actually let it slide here because we, we had this game um, and, and they've sort of got a bit of, um, they've got ahead of, ahead of the game at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we, we have spoken about the fielding and, and taking those one or two opportunities. I don't think the intensity was too bad other than the morning um, of the third day. Uh, that was Mark Boucher, protest co- cricket coach. Remember, you can you can watch the games live on DSTV or follow Ball by Ball on Supersport. That's all we have for you today on the Bench Warmer. You can catch us same time, same place on Friday uh, between 5 and 6 on my D-Buzz Radio, the best youth station in the Bay.